Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Friday. It's June 9th. It's a game day in the NBA Finals. It's also a Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. So that means there's a $100 gift certificate available for you, but not just quite yet. Of course, our friends at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits it's located 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. We'll find out the weekend specials here momentarily. But as we typically do, let's get things started with our poll questions. And I'll start with game four tonight in Miami with the Denver Nuggets on top of the series two to one here. Uh, what happens tonight in Miami? Nuggets minus three and a half or heat plus three and a half are the options. Masses are out in front on the Nuggets side of things at 50. 57% of the vote, heat trailing at 43%. A couple of strange things here uh, that have occurred. Uh, you know, the heat of, uh, yeah, they were unbeaten at home in the postseason until their last three games. Remember, they lost the last two games of that series at home against the Celtics, and obviously they lost at home the other night, so they've lost three straight home playoff games. And the Nuggets, they were average below average on the road during the regular season 19 and 22 but they've now won four consecutive playoff games they won the last game here against the suns to end that series then they won both road playoff games in the western conference final at los angeles against the lakers and obviously they won the other night so uh, kind of a couple of uh, playoff oddities there, considering uh, you know what they've done during the regular season, and as far as the Nuggets, and as far as what we had seen previously in the playoffs at home with the Heat. We'll answer this question around. Uh, 11.30 today. We'll also dive into a little bit about the game tonight here momentarily. Flipping this on over to Twitter, though, at KDUS AM 1060. Will the Big Ten challenge the SEC in football after adding UCLA and USC? And no remains in front. 66.7% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 33.3%. Yeah, that's gotten a little closer in the last hour. So we'll see how that uh, continues, whether that trend continues uh, this was, um, you know, brought to this kind of became a question because yesterday the Big Ten announced its new schedule format. They now it was, you know, anticipated by like everybody that they were going to eliminate the divisions and go to one big, you know, group standing type of thing, uh, which they did uh, officially now. Also, they've decided, and this was also anticipated, there'd been one, there'd be one like quote rival matchup for every team. Except they didn't do one for Penn State. I'm not really sure what's up with that. Uh, but you know, they're all obviously going to keep the conference championship game at the end of the year. And for those of you who are Ohio State or Michigan fans, it will continue to be on the final Saturday of the regular season. 
the interesting thing now, remember there's no division thing, so they could actually play two straight weeks if they're the two best teams in the conference. They would play again the following week in the uh, conference championship game. So that's a whole lot. That's a different dynamic. Once again, we'll answer that question around 1130 today. In addition to what we have scheduled for you, Sean Alvarez at Smooth Turn 2 on Twitter for the final leg of the Triple Crown discussion today at 1015. Uh, So we'll head on out to the KDOS hotline to talk with Sean here shortly. As I mentioned, it's a Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Here are the weekend specials. 50-50 patties, which is half beef and half bacon at $6.99 a pound. The Big Papa Patties, which is half pork and half bacon with mozzarella cheese and jalapenos at $6.99 a pound. I don't know, Bob, are you a fan of jalapenos? No, no, I'm not. It's good if you have like a nasal problem. It kind of clears the nasal passages for me. But other than that, no, not not in the jalapeno thing. All right. Uh, and then the uh, chicken bacon Swiss brats at six ninety nine a pound. You can visit Ooh, I can our. Do that. All right. All right. We can do. Uh, Two of the three for you. Um, Located 2390 North Alma School in Chandler and always visit them online at vonhansensmeets.net. All right, game four between the Nuggets and the Heat is tonight at 5.30 p.m. on ABC. I don't know if we've done this yet, and, and maybe this is just me, that I haven't given enough enough credit to the two-man game with Jokic and Murray and how they ran yeah. it so efficiently, and they ran it in ways in which Miami was unable to provide some really good help defense, and certainly help defense has to be involved in what the the Miami Heat want to do defensively just because they're so undersized. And so really, uh, Jokic and Murray were able to pick that apart in Game 3. Yeah, I mentioned it. uh, It was almost all, you know, two-man game with those two guys in the last game, but they did it differently. I mean, it wasn't just late, you know, straight screen roll stuff. There was a lot of uh, dribble handoff stuff. In fact, there was a I, I wish I had the numbers here, but it was an incredibly high number of just uh, dribble handoff sets, which they run plenty of, but they did a much more of it in this last game. And I think that that's why it was difficult for the Heat to adjust, uh, really the whole game, quite frankly. Uh, that and just the physical domination of that first, uh, excuse me, the last game were the two biggest reasons that, you know, I think the, the Nuggets, uh, to me, at least to me, cruise to a victory absolutely cruising to a victory uh without a doubt there so with this in mind though is there even anything left for Spolstra to try to be able to counter any of this with the Nuggets uh trying to do or is the counter really just Miami has to hit their open looks and their open threes well that helps needless to say no question about that but yeah I think the one thing to look for right off the bat and you'll know this before the game starts and depending on whether you have you know access to Twitter or lineups or whatever, but 90 minutes before the game, uh, we'll know who the uh, starting lineup is going to be. And will Kevin Love remain in the starting lineup, or will Spolstra go even smaller and go back to Caleb, uh, Caleb Martin? I think that's the first thing to look for before this game tonight. Yeah, and the the reason for the insertion for Ke- uh, Kevin Love in Game 2 
uh, was due to Caleb Martin's illness and the migraines and things that he was suffering. And, and so they went with Kevin Love in that particular uh, instance. It worked out well for them. He provided some great defense, uh, not so much offensively, though. Yeah, in game three, it was just uh, yeah, he wasn't good at the either end of the floor. He may, I guess he made, made one three maybe, but that's about it. And, yeah, if he's on the floor, he needs to do a lot more than that. And, you know, the best thing he does is rebound, and he was on the floor for a substantial, you know, at least a decent part of the time, and they got crushed in the boards. They were minus 25 in the last game on in just rebounding alone. That's just unacceptable. I don't care if you're big, small, or whatever. You can't ever be minus 25 in an NBA game and rebounding. Uh, Jimmy Butler, he also seemed to be more aggressive to start game three. His efficiency didn't end up great, and everyone else also struggled with their shots. So maybe is this just how it all kind of unfolded, or do we think Butler has to be more of a facilitator to start the game? Well, that's he was definitely that the other night. I mean, he didn't he wasn't particularly efficient shooting, but he was his passing was spectacular in that game. He had eight assists and it should have been if they made, you know, a decent amount of field goal attempts, it would have been double that. I mean, he, he was he he I think that was the best passing game that I've seen from Butler in these playoffs. Now, you know, he's also you know, not passed as much because he's been kind of a scoring machine, at least early in the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, I actually thought he was you – know, I thought he played really well the other night. He didn't make some shots. But, yeah, he put his uh, teammates in position to make shots, and they did not. Uh, no, they definitely didn't. Uh, it, Bam, he continues to get whatever shot he wants inside the paint. He just needs to improve as well on his efficiency from game three. That's true. And, yeah, I know that uh, – and I didn't realize this while I was watching the game, quite frankly, but I did see – I forget where I saw or heard this yesterday. I watched uh, you know, a couple of uh, – it was either ESPN, a NBA TV, or a couple of podcasts that I listened to. Uh, so I apologize. I, I always like to try to you know, give people credit to deserve the credit. But, you know, Bam's uh, – you, you, basically, whoever Kevin – excuse me, whoever uh, you know, Jokic was guarding was not efficient. Uh, it was a ridiculously low shooting percentage for the primary defender stat uh, going against Jokic, and Bam was part of that. I mean, he had uh, – you know, reminded me somewhat of the uh, Boston series when clearly you remember he had problems with the link of the Celtics – yeah, whether it be Horford or Robert Williams, uh, he missed a lot of easy, supposed easy, you would think, uh, makeable shots in that series. And he missed a few of those that are night, too. Uh, the Heat, with their backs against the wall, they've been really great, uh, especially throughout these entire playoffs. But even though they've been great, are we leaning in the direction that the Nuggets just might be too much? I think they are in the series for sure. I'm not particularly sure about tonight, uh, but you know, certainly if, uh, if I, you know, I think it's safe to say that most people would have the opinion that if the Nuggets win tonight that this is going to be a five-game series, which is what a lot of people thought before the series started. 
And uh, I talked about this last, I, I can't remember what day this week, but I talked about how good the Miami Heat have been in the fourth quarter. It was also something that uh, Michael Malone, they had uh, an inside the huddle conversation with him that he was pointing out that we need to win this fourth quarter. I actually have some numbers, though, to back up how good the Miami Heat have been. They've actually been negative net rating for every quarter they've played in the playoffs but the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, they have a plus eight. 18.2 net rating. So even though they're down uh, sometimes in these games going into the fourth quarter by double digits, in the past they've been able to overcome it. Yeah, it's something ABC pointed out, uh, you know, ESPN slash ABC pointed out uh, actually before the game, uh, game three, is, uh, you know, how efficient they've been and how effective and how many times they've had multiple double-digit comebacks alone in the fourth quarter of these playoffs. So we will certainly get into what we think is going to happen for game four tonight later on in the show, but we have to step aside now, take a quick break, and back on the other side with Sean Alvarez at Smooth Turn 2 on Twitter to figure out what to do with the Belmont Stakes uh, and whether or not the Belmont Stakes is going to run and what they're going to do for the horses uh, to make sure that the air quality is okay for them uh, to race. So we'll try to figure out what to do uh, with all of that on the other side of the break with Sean Alvarez. It is the Extra Point. It's a Friday spread Extra Point brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits as well. The $100 gift certificate still available for you in today's show. It is Friday. It is June 9th. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. And as always, you can follow along online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We pop on out to the KDUS hotline. Sean Alvarez, our horse guru. You can follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2. Sean, appreciate the time on the program as always. Yeah, definitely. You know, you know, I alluded to it uh, on one of our previous calls. It's always nice, A, talking with you, but then B, when I'm, when I'm talking with you, I know that there's a a big race coming up, so definitely excited about it. Absolutely here. Uh, unfortunately, it, it is a, a big race, but we potentially have to figure out what's going to happen because of the air quality issues that are going on in the New York area. So if air quality allows, it will be the 155th running of the Belmont Stakes on Saturday. So first of all, though, before we get into that side of things, what is this track like and how does it differ from the first two tracks in the Triple Crown? Yeah, I think we, we call it the Big Sandy for a reason. Um, it's a huge track. It actually is a mile and a half from the, the start into, from the start to the finish line. So if you go all the way around the track, it is the mile and a half, which is the distance we're going. Um, we're going to be running on Saturday. He's, he's the biggest difference is to get that distance, these turns are really wide and sweeping. So you really don't have those sharp cutoff angles a little bit more of a, you know, a sustained run is what you want to look for for your horses. 
Um, it's definitely a big track, and it's a distance that these horses have never run, and they probably will never run after after Saturday. So it's definitely a different type of track than we saw at Churchill and Pimlico. Uh, I also imagine here that air quality would impact a horse just the same way that it would impact a human. And when trying to compete, run, exert energy, this could be a challenge. So are there tests and provisions in place that these horses are going to have to pass uh, if this race does move forward as scheduled on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, the same thing like you alluded to with horses compared to, you know, humans. You know, imagine trying to run a marathon or even, you know, a you know, a 400-meter race while there's smoke in the air. You're trying to breathe in oxygen. Smoke is coming in. It's definitely not conducive to what the horses want and need. Um, but there are provisions that are going into Belmont this weekend. There will be a state veterinarian on site, and I believe the wording was they have each horse has to pass a respiratory test, not just for the Belmont Stakes, but anybody running that day, just to make sure that they're breathing okay, Nothing's going to happen. We, the, the first and foremost thing we, we want to do is take care of these, you know, these equine athletes that give us the joy of racing. Um, so, you know, they deserve, you know, our care. So I believe that there's going to be a state veterinarian. They have to pass a respiratory test. That tells me that we may see a little bit more, um, a little bit more scratches than we're normally used to. Kind of, kind of similar to what we saw in the Kentucky Derby. Hopefully not that many. Um, but we may see a little bit more scratches. He's Sean Alvarez. Follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2, talking about the Belmont Stakes Saturday uh, coverage on Fox. Have any of the horses in this field raced here before? Does that give those horses an advantage at all, or does it help you understand more of what the horses are capable of when you talk about such a longer track? Yeah, I, I believe the only horse that's run at Belmont is the three Archangelo Arc. Archangelo, um, I'm going to butcher so many names, um, but it's, you know, it, yes, it does help a little bit, mainly because of those big sweeping turns, but it's more when you get to the, the smaller tracks that have those tighter turns, that's when it really becomes more of what we call uh, the horse for the course. You know, the horse really likes the track, handles the turns, handles the surface. This surface and this distance with these turns, it's not exactly something where you want that experience, that on-track experience. So I would, I would say no, there's not a lot that's going to go into that. But, you know, with that big of a track, with, with the distance and the surface that we're looking at, pace for me becomes a little bit more um, intriguing. Uh, the third place horse from the Kentucky Derby, Angel of Empire, is set to race this Saturday, seven to two odds. How does this horse's style translate to Belmont? So, I, a big misconception, misconception that I see in horse racing is the longer the distance, the more the closers are going to uh, benefit from that. And that, truthfully, from when I when I watch, you know, a lot of the Belmont races, that is exactly the opposite. A lot of the horses don't want to go too fast, too early, kind of similar to what we talked about, what they did in the, in the, uh, in the derby, went too fast, too early, and then they walked on in the preakness. So there's definitely certain pace angles. And the longer the race, like I said, we're going a mile and a half. These horses have never gone that distance. And as far as classic-type horses, probably will never run this distance again. So it's, you know, you, you want to save energy for that long stretch run after you've already run close to a mile as you're turning home. Um, 
so there's there's definitely different uh, um, ideas about how this kind of distance plays out. I'm not a believer that you need to come from the back, but one of my favorite things about Angel of Empire is the jockey. Flavian Pratt has one of the best internal clocks that I've seen. If they're going too slow too early, he moves his horse up. If they're going too fast too early, he takes them back. He just has a really, really good gauge of the pace. Um, so as far as his pace goes, he's probably not – this race isn't going to benefit him, but with the jockey that's riding him, I think this really kind of hits him in between the eyes. Uh, when we continue talking about some horses here for the Belmont Stakes, the winner of the Preakness National Treasure is set to run 5-1 to one odds. So how hard is it to go back-to-back back like this, and does National Treasure have what it takes? Yeah, I mean, definitely going back-to-back back is an issue. Usually horses want at least roughly four weeks off be- between races. Obviously, he didn't run in the Derby. He just had this kind of uh, – you know, jump up to go from the Preakness to the Belmont. He's going to get a three-week break. That's not ideal. Um, and my other issue with National Treasure is, I mean, we talked about it. They were, he was completely left alone on the lead. It was one of those things where, you know, he was out there just kind of running a workout pace. Nobody was pressuring him, and he kicked on well. But, again, we're talking about a much further distance. And the pedigree that this horse has, talking about the four National Treasure, I'm not sure that he wants to go that far. We've, we've already seen what he can do when he's left alone on the lead. I don't think they're going to fully leave him alone on the lead. And like I said, the pedigree-wise, he's not bred to go this far. So to set the pace and then to continue to go on is definitely going to be a, a, a task in itself. And then, like you said, now he's got a little bit more of a target on his back because he won the preakness. I just don't see how the pace of this race is going to – going to benefit him. Sean Alvarez, follow him over on Twitter at Smooth Turn 2 as we're talking about the 155th running of the Belmont Stakes right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. So Tappet Trice is in the field, not to be confused with Tappet Shoes. Uh, Tappet Trice, though, is a three to one uh, horse here, and you've talked about him with us before. So what do you like about Tappet Trice and does it fit the longer track here at Belmont? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I reluctantly used him on, on the show that we talked about in the Derby, but the big knock on this horse is he just does not like the rail. He shy, he, either he shies away from the rail or, or he just does better running on the outside. But if you watch workouts in each race, the jockey is very intent from the gate to get outside and not get stuck on the rail. He's done it in workouts going into the first turn. He's done it in races going into the first turn, and he does it when he turns for home. He wants to swing out wide. Now, like we said, it's a mile and a half. It's going to be a lot slower of a pace. We're not going to have 18 horses uh, like we did in the Derby. He doesn't have that type of field to navigate. So I do think Saez can get him outside, and I do like his, the, the pace running of his uh, his pace style that he likes to run. He doesn't need to come from too far back. He should be in touch with the leaders. Um, and it all, all, all depends on if he's good enough. He's going to have to run a little bit further than everybody else. The wider you go, the more distance you're going to have to cover. Um, so it's all going to come down to, is he good enough? But this track really suits his running style with not being pinned on the, on the rail. He's going to have all the time in the world and big sweeping turns 
to kind of kick back outside. So those knocks that I had on him for the Derby kind of go away with uh, the Belmont and this track. Um, so, like I said, if he's good enough, I think he's definitely going to be around uh, come, come the wire. A couple of questions away from the horses in this specific track. What do horses do in between races? Are they competing in other events or, uh, you know, are they resting up, working with their trainer? Like what typically happens in between these layoffs? Generally in the layoff, the horse, after he comes out back from the race, he's going to lose a little bit of weight. Um, so you really want to get the horse eating, get you know, eating their entire feed bucket that's usually a good sign that they're feeling good coming out of that race. The next thing you're going to do daily is just hot walk the horse. There's somebody, you know, an assistant of, of one of the trainers that takes the horse out of the stall and they walk, they walk the shed row or they walk um, on a, on a, you know, there's an, there's an equipment that they can hook them up to to walk in circles just to get their legs moving. And then as soon as the trainer feels the horse is up to it, He'll jog them on the track and then start to work them out to get ready for the next race. So there's definitely a process to make sure that we're doing right by the horses and that they're coming up to 100%, you know, really ready to give their best effort. Uh, you know, I, I wish they could, you know, tell us, you know, give a little knock on the door that, you know, we're ready to run. But it's more the signs that the horse gives the trainer to know that the horse is ready to run their next race. How often do the jockeys ride the horses before the actual races, or is it kind of uh, just like a week or so leading up to the race? Especially these big name horses in these, you know, in grade one Belmont Stakes type of races, a lot of these jockeys will actually work the horses out in the morning. So they, they've definitely gotten on before. Um, for instance, Tappet Trice, since he's up, Saez has rid, ridden him four times in the last four races. But on top of that, he's probably going in the morning to also get on the horse, to work him out, and it just gives the jockey a feel of the horse, gives him an idea of, you know, when is this horse getting in the best stride, how, you know, how best to communicate with this horse in order for him to put up his best, best effort. So with this type of quality of horses, they're, they're on in the morning um, and just getting a feel of it. Sean Alvarez, follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2 right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Okay, back to the Belmont Stakes here. You have Forte at 7-2, Angel of Empire 7-2, Tappet Trice 3-1, National Treasure 5-1, Archangelo 8-1. So what do you like about this top-tier grouping of horses, at least on the odds board, top-tier? Well, I mean, as far as, as, far as favorites go, when I'm betting, it's more – you know, can I punch holes in the favorite? Can I find things that I don't like about him? And if I can't, then I probably love the favorite. But Forte was the favorite going into the Kentucky Derby. The, the actual on-track veterinarian scratched the horse, not the trainer. He has run decent workouts, but again, you know, I kind of allude, I've alluded to it many times, actually. They're going a distance they've never gone before. The horse scratched out of the Derby. He hasn't run a race in 70 days. I just, that's not a price that I want to swallow when I know that I can punch holes in the, in the horse. And as far as, the, you know, the form goes, I alluded to it earlier. I really like Angel of Empire, mainly because of Flavian. Uh, I think the horse is plenty good enough to win the race, but I trust that Flavian's going to have him in the right spot. Like I said, if they're going too slow, too early, I can see him moving up kind of mid-race to get his horse in touch, 
if they're going too fast too early, he's definitely going to sit back and know that he's going to have plenty of horse turning from home. So I really like that horse. I already talked about Tappet Trice as far as what he needs to do to win. National treasure, my knock on the horse is the pedigree. I just don't think he's going to get that. I don't think they're going to leave him alone. I don't think he's going to get that easy lead. And with his pedigree on the bottom, I just don't think he's bred for a mile and a half. Um, Archangelo, I think, is definitely interesting. Um, I alluded to that he ran at the Belmont before. That was the grade three Peter Pan where he won by a head. That's not necessarily because he was. it was at Belmont. What I really liked about that race was he was in sixth place after the, after the half mile, and they were running not quick. And then the, the leader tried to slow him way down, tried to save a little bit more for that, you know, turning for home. And Castellano just said no and went on and challenged the leader and, and put, a, put his head in front and kept on going. So it's, it's one of those type of moves that I like to see, especially in this type of distance. Hobby stays on. So it, it, there's a lot to like, especially, like, especially at the odds of 8-1. to one. Um, the seven hit show is interesting for me. He ran a really good, not in the form, but he ran a really good Kentucky Derby race. He was a lot closer than he should have been to that insanely quick, those insanely quick fractions. And he was covered up and uncomfortable. He didn't finish all that well, but like we, like we saw really only two fills was the only horse that stayed on. I thought he ran a really good kind of sneaky effort. And again, at 10 to one, that's, you know, that's a, that's a shot I'm willing to take. So, Sean, uh, the 155th running of the Belmont Stakes here on Saturday, how are we supposed to play this year's Belmont Stakes? What are you going to do? So, as far as the top pick goes, uh, my top pick is Angel of Empire. If you want one horse uh, as far as a bet to win, that would be my top pick. I really like that horse. Love the jockey. Love just the running style of, of – that, that this race suits him really well. Um, but with, with that being said, I'm going to run a little bit of a trifecta. Or I'm sorry, not a trifecta, an exacta with three horses on top. So we're going to try and catch a little bit of prices. So I, ta- I spoke about the three Archangelo, the seven hit show, and again, the eight Angel, Angel of Empire. Those are the three horses that I would play on top. And then I would save it underneath with the two Tappet Trice and the six Forte. So for a dollar exacta, that would be three seven, eight with the two, three, six, seven, and eight for a dollar that would cost you 12 bucks. If angel of empire wins, I still think it can pay, you know, definitely above what we paid for it. If lightning hits an archangel or a uh, hit show come in, it's definitely going to pay really well. Well, I hope that everyone, uh, horses, People can all be safe in the 155th running of the Belmont Stakes and uh, that we have a fun Saturday. Always appreciate the time. Always appreciate the knowledge, Sean, and we look forward to enjoying things on Saturday. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Everybody stay safe, and hopefully hopefully we cash some tickets and have a great Saturday. Absolutely. Appreciate it, as always, and you can follow him, Sean Alvarez, on Twitter, at SmoothTurn2. Appreciate the time, Sean. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you.
Thanks so much there to Sean Alvarez for his time and uh, what's happening for the Belmont Stakes. You can watch the Belmont Stakes. Coverage is on Fox starting at noon on Saturday, running up until 4.30 p.m. Obviously, the horse race will get uh, started much closer to that 4.30 time. It is your turn if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060. We did this exercise uh, earlier in the week on the offensive side of the ball. Now it's time for the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Coming to us from Mike Jones from The Athletics. We'll dive into the 11 new defensive coordinators. It's all happening here on The Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The phone number 602-260-1060 if you are on holds. Sorry, the commercial break took so long. Give us a call back, 602-260-1060. Dave, call back. I'm curious how you're doing. So, Dave, call back. Uh, Let's get into the... um, the athletics Mike Jones he had put together uh, the one question the one pressing question for every new offensive play caller well now he's done it for the defensive side of the ball there are 11 new defensive coordinators set uh, to get things started for the 2023 NFL season and of course it starts with the Arizona Cardinals his pressing question is is the 29 year old experienced enough to run a defense and of course he's referring to defensive coordinator Nick Rollis. Uh, He is the youngest active D coordinator in the NFL. He's been in the NFL for five seasons, and he was the linebackers coach in Philadelphia the last two years under Jonathan Gannon. I don't know if, for me, this is the most pressing question. I think, for me, it's more, uh, what is the defense going to look like? Where's the pass rush going to come from? I don't think that Nick Rollis is going to be left on an island. You have Jonathan Gannon uh, with the defensive background, so 100% his imprint is going to be on this defense. So it's more about maximizing and maybe seeing what their defensive concepts and principles are as time goes on to, to get the right players in place. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about uh, kind of on. He's not going to be on an island here. You know, clearly, it's going to be you know the head coach and you know it's his defense and and so forth. I'm sure that uh, you know you know, we'll have uh, you know you know there'll there'll be split uh, quote as responsibilities during game day. But you know, so yeah, I'm I'm more can I'm more interested in. really who's going to be playing where and uh, we may not know this you know, obviously they've been experimenting with guys in different spots uh during the otas i guess the, the mini camp is next week right the official you know, mandatory mini camp correct thing. uh yeah so um so they've already you know, been experimenting with that but you know i'm more curious to see at least on the defensive side is where are people playing and who is playing 
Uh, the Falcons, Ryan Nielsen. Uh, the question here for Mike Jones is, can the first-time play caller position the revamping Falcons for growth? He did spend six seasons under Dennis Allen in New Orleans, and they did make an investment in some veterans in the offseason like Calais Campbell yeah. and Bud Dupree, and they also spent some draft capital like a defensive end in Zach Harrison and a cornerback in Clark Phillips on the defensive side of the ball. They also added uh, the you know, Bates from the Bengals, uh, you know, one of the best safeties, uh, if not the best safety on the market. So, you know, they've added to all three lines of the, de- uh, the defense. And you know, I think the Falcons have a chance to be a pretty interesting team. I don't necessarily trust the quarterback situation, but if they had a better quarterback situation, I'd be you know, interested in investing on the Falcons this upcoming season. Uh, then you have the Bills. Sean McDermott, the question here, will he in the defense miss Leslie Frazier? Uh, obviously, McDermott is a defensive-minded head coach. We saw what his, uh, you know, what he was able to do in Carolina, which propelled him to get this head coaching position with the Bills. Uh, but when you look at uh, whether or not him spending more time uh, really honing in on the defensive side of the game day aspect of things, will that impact game decisions? And with the Bills' overall window for a Super Bowl run being right now to me I'm more interested you know they lost some key defenders uh you know the salary cap kind of finally caught up to them to some extent uh which we've talked about a little bit when uh we've talked about uh, DeAndre Hopkins maybe going to Buffalo and they've got some uh limitations there as far as the cap goes and you know as you know, that's even after they lost some guys up the middle so to me, I'm more concerned about how they're going to you know, look at the inside linebacker and safety, which are you know, questions we have not had about the Bills for a long time. Uh, the Panthers, Ejiro Ivero, uh, the question here, how long will it take the Panthers to transition to an entirely new defensive scheme? They're switching to a 3-4 under Avero. Uh, Brian Burns, of course, is probably going to keep uh, being able to be one of the best young defensive players. And then uh, this is my anecdote here. J.C. Horn needs to get healthy. That's true. Uh, they've got a few guys who need to get healthy when healthy. Uh, I think that this is uh, the this this group has the capability of being one of the best defenses in the league. Something I've said for a couple years running now. They've done a really good job of drafting and to some extent developing players, uh, very young players, and uh, they should continue to get better as they get older in their NFL careers. The Browns, Jim Schwartz, the question here, can the defense find greater consistency and ease pressure on Kevin Stefanski's offense? They did bring in Zedarius Smith to the defense. Um, I think my question here is, is this kind of a year for Kevin Stefanski to be on the hot seat? So trying to go in the direction of a veteran like Jim Schwartz to make sure that the defense is uh, as good as it can possibly be. Yeah, I agree on all counts, Sarah. Yeah, I think that uh, this is a big year for Stefanski. I think that Schwartz is a really good hire. I've gone blank, and I don't remember who he replaced, but their defensive coordinator of the past, the last couple years, they just seem to be kind of um, a confusion festival. Uh, what are they doing? And, you know, they didn't have the greatest personnel. Uh, they have added Smith, as you mentioned, so they should be better. Yeah, they're in a tough division, uh, maybe the, the toughest division in the NFL from you know, one through four uh, entering the season. So I'm curious. Uh, 
if the Browns were in a, a, a different division, I think I'd be a little more interested in the Browns. But, you know, I got the Deshaun Watson question out there, too. To me, that would be the biggest question here. What's he going to look like after last year when – yeah, he looked like somebody that hadn't played for almost two years. Um, you were thinking of Joe Woods. He was the previous. That's correct. Yeah, he used to be in San Francisco and as a, an assistant and got the gig. And that was, I think it was, I think it's safe to say it was a disaster in uh, Cleveland. Not all his fault, uh, but certainly uh, I was actually surprised he came back last year to start the season. Number six is the Broncos with Vance Joseph. Uh, the question, will he fare better in his return to the Mile High City? He returns five years after being let go as head coach. He is now under Sean Payton as the new defensive coordinator. And uh, Averro obviously showed that the defense uh, could be very good. And uh, that's yeah. kind of what got him a gig over in Carolina and also was getting him some head coaching pop. Yeah, they, they uh, Joseph. The, the problem in Denver when he, Joseph was the head coach there was not their defense. In fact, uh, you know, he developed his reputation, or he kind of uh, not developed, but continued his reputation as a defensive guy, which had in part led to him getting the job here uh, for Kime and Kingsbury. So you know they've got some players. Uh, they've got a few guys that have been in and out of the lineup. They've had a few guys, the offensive line and some key defenders uh, really largely contributed to the demise of the Broncos last year. That and you know, everybody, including myself, uh, you know, bashed Russell Wilson all year long. But they had a whole lot of other things, including that defense that missed a lot of key players because of injury. We'll have to put a pin in this as we only made it through six of the 11 new defensive coordinators, and we'll see if we can figure out a time to slot this in for later on in the show. But we wrap up our number one also with a fun little announcement from our friends from Putting World. So we'll get into that here on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point on this Friday, June 9th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, one more to go with our number one next. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Here's the news. Putting World. We're taking the show on the road on Wednesday of next week. Next week is also the U.S. Open, so we'll be previewing the U.S. Open next week, trying to figure out what to do uh, golfers-wise uh, with the event taking place at L.A. Country Club. But we will be on location Putting World, which is located 16259 North Scottsdale Road. Uh, the place does not open until 10 o'clock, so come visit us starting from 10 to noon. Also, 
bring your putter. Let's have some fun. Let's have a little putting contest after the show. There's great food and drinks at Bar 19. And once again, Putting World is located 16259 North Scottsdale Road, puttingworld.com. When it comes to the RBC Canadian Open right now, uh, we went and supported a fellow Vandal. So let's see how uh, Aaron Cockerell is doing. He shot even par yesterday. He's one under par so far today uh, through 17 holes. That's good enough for a tie for 49th, and currently that is sitting on the projected cut line. So uh, we'll see how the afternoon wave of tee times fares as uh, those rounds are just now getting started. Uh, When it comes to Justin Rose, he shot uh, three under yesterday, but he's one over through four so far today. That's good for a tie for 37th. Uh, Then you have Cameron Young. We took... Justin Rose in a head-to-head over Cameron Young. Cameron Young shot one under yesterday, even today, so he's also in a tie for 49th. Uh, Then we also took Tyrrell Hatton. Uh, over Rory McIlroy, and this was done before all of the news had broken about everything that's going on uh, with the PGA Tour, PIF, and the DP World Tour. Tyrrell Hatton, though, he finds himself one under par through three today. He's one under par for the tournament. Rory McIlroy, even on the day, he's also one under par through the tournament. When it comes to the leaders... You have Carl Yuan, who shot five under par 67 today. Uh, he's at nine under par atop the leaderboard done for the day. Andrew Novak, Brendan Todd, seven under par in a tie for second. They're all done as well. Uh, when it looks to trying to snap some some history uh, at this event, as it is the RBC Canadian Open, a Canadian has not actually won this event in many, many years. Uh, so you have to look to see where the first Canadian is on the board. It's Adam Hadwin. He's in a tie for eighth right now. He shot one under par yesterday, four under par today. That's good for five under par. Corey Connors is also in a tie for eighth. He is just getting his round underway. The RBC Canadian Open uh, coming to you, obviously, from uh, Canada. When it comes to the fun things that we're up to, though, visit us Wednesday at Putting World, located 16259 North Scottsdale Road. More Extra Point. It's coming up on the other side of the break, hour number two, and your phone calls as well. If you try to call in, 602-260-1060 will get you around 11.15 in hour number two. 602-260-1060 for that. It's all happening here on KDOS AM 1060.